So this is Maria Medaki. She's a PhD student in the Behavior and Evolution Program. Hi. Hi. So Maria, like, how are you part of Lichen Lab? I am a PhD student. I study public programs for new immigrants in Canadian art galleries. I look at uh, what is involved with uh, public engagement, how social behavior in galleries varies depending on the visitor's cultural background and uh, so the nature of the exhibit. So the, the interesting thing is that, that Maria is an artist. So her previous education, things like that, well, since coming to Canada, were, are actually in art studio. And then she's also worked extensively um, teaching art and doing public programming. Okay. So you're approaching this from an artist's perspective as well as from an immigrant's perspective. Yes. When you say that you look at different immigrant groups and, and like, like so, so are you saying that different cultures view art in different ways? Is that too simplistic? I don't know. But like, is that what the study is about? The study is to find out whether this is true or false. Many immigrants that uh, come to Lightbridge are refugees. Okay. And uh, so they come from a very from extremely stressed environments. Their life uh, are being turned upside down, and most of them come here without any knowledge of English language. Art is inherently a healing activity. I am an immigrant myself, who had to start my life from scratch twice, uh, which is probably what inspired me working with uh, new immigrants. I uh, came to Canada without any knowledge of English. And it really bothered me when people here found me dumb because I didn't speak any English, right. even though I spoke uh, for other languages fluently. When engaged uh, socially in art activity, uh, you don't need to use any language. You don't actually need to talk to the person sitting next to you. You are able to sit quietly and exchange ideas visually. So there is just a different uh, kind of communication going on in art gallery. As Marina Abramovic uh, noticed uh, when she was working and living with Austria, Australian aboriginals, the people over there have very limited amount of words. They don't use language as much. They communicate uh, telepathically, she claimed. So I find that something similar is going on when uh, working with uh, art, when being engaged in art activity. You can just sit around the table, and this is what I observed uh, with my while doing my pilot studies. People were sitting around the table uh, with different uh, uh, levels of English language skills and coming from different backgrounds with different first languages knowledge of different first languages and uh, they were just able to communicate somehow uh, socialize and feel comfortable comfortably it, it, it's interesting that you bring up australian aboriginals because um uh the, their culture um they talk about like dream time as like a as, as this kind of like other space uh, and that's where a lot of their interactions happen and 
and art and dream time seem to have like seem to probably like come from the same place so kind of makes sense that uh that in both places people seem to be communicating telepathically uh yes i agree when uh, uh being engaged uh, immersed in uh, making art in art activity you somehow felt transformed to another dimension you're not truly present right you feel like uh, this is a bit philosophical but <laughs> you almost feel like interconnected to right. connect so you can there's a there's just a different level of communication i would i should say shouldn't go into philosophy <laughs> i feel like i feel like brushing against philosophy never hurt anybody no no <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it comes back to our connection with uh alvinoli's work well, I think, yeah and i think the other thing is i'm not sure that i would necessarily call i mean i would say it's quite mystical right what maria is talking about rather right than philosophy yeah totally mysticism yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, mm, really? As Maria knows. Because <laughs> I'm always like, no, no, I don't think that's true. <laughs> right, right. And I do agree that you can have these things where you feel connected to something bigger than yourself and all those kinds of things. But I think this is where it does link up with some of what Miranda's doing because these ideas of people communicating telepathically. Now, I, I've been to Samoa um, where one of our other students works and and what you notice there is how much nonverbal communication people engage in it's a lot of eyebrow raising and nodding and right and it's and yeah. and and so they know what's going on in a way that you don't because you haven't grown up reading those quite subtle signals that everyone right. else engages in so i think there's sort of there's much more nonverbal stuff that we do that we really don't notice that we're doing because we're so dominated by language right. and dominated by linguistics so i always tell students to sort of watch uh sitcom on television for like 10 minutes and then turn the sound off and all of a sudden you realize that you can still follow along with, with what most of what's happening because most sitcoms follow certain kinds of tropes anyway sure. right but you can sort of still follow what's going on just purely by looking at everyone's facial expressions and physical gestures yeah. and those kinds of things and and then as soon as you turn the sound back on you become language dominated again and you realize you're not noticing all those things that are supporting language so i think what's happening is that those non-verbal things come out more powerfully and you can tap into them in a way that you can't you know when you're forced into always using language so that's how art lets you do that and it can seem like telepathy but I think it's because you're responding to people on a more embodied level that you're you're dealing with the non-verbal ways of of engaging and and um and tuning into each other thank you Neil deGrasse Tyson for setting us straight <laughs> <laughs> So one of the things that um, with Maria's project is that at, at first we were like, okay, we want to do something where we're engaging with, you know, we want to expand the cultural diversity for the University of Lethbridge Art Gallery. Working with new immigrants seems to be a really obvious way to, to go. Like, let's, you know, connect with us and it can be part of their learning English and those kind of connections. And so at first we were thinking that it was going to be about bringing them to the exhibitions. And we pretty quickly realized that that's, that's like a, that, that's just not going to work in terms of like you bring them, they see the art. Okay. But I mean, in terms of what would we be actually looking at? And also the way that art galleries are set up is so fundamentally 
divi you know, divisive, that it's like set up to be this space for a very particular and narrow viewpoint. And so it's not about whether you make sure that they find their way to the door or you personally invite them, that you're going to have to change everything that we do. We're going to have to change a whole bunch of different levels of practice. And so with Maria's project, she's been running pilots and, and trying to figure this out, is that we realize that it's focused much more on what falls under the public programming. So doing actually like art making, doing hands-on uh, art activities. Uh, and But then th that is a way into being participating in the art galleries. So it's, so it's not about... Um, getting refugees or immigrants in a bus and, and busing them over to the art gallery. Okay. Um, and so, like, do you lead the process of art making? Yes, I come up with an art activity and uh, let them do it. But actually, uh, last few times, uh, we have we had here a visiting artist uh, at PN yes. who used his research to um connect uh, people from the community with uh, his with art with art making and uh, also social change um as Josie already explained about uh, its project uh i my uh, role was to connect uh, immigrant uh, groups with uh, him and then he led a workshop actually and, and so what did you guys do in the workshop uh, people were drawing uh, fish, large-scale fish. So I'll just give a very quick instruction. That uh, it later turned into kites. And then people came again to our event when we were flying the kites with Ed. So, so working with refugees and, and you doing art activities, um, does this then become a kind of like like an art therapy thing or it is kind of like art therapy but it's not art therapy okay. art therapy focuses on mostly making an artwork and then analyzing it in order to find out about what's going on deeper in a psyche 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 yeah while um what we are doing in art gallery is we're more using art as a tool um to uh as I said, uh, art is an inher inherently uh, healing activity right. and uh, it's almost like meditation is that kind of. And it's also the idea the the art is research. So the, the thing is, is that it's not just the artist who's doing the research, though in our case, we're bringing in an artist like Yed Pian for the project he's already done or Jose Luis Torres for an upcoming um, project next year. So... The artist is here for a research trip to look at the location, but also then to really meet people, like actually spend time. So they work with Maria and they run workshops, and then they're they're finding out about who their audience is going to be, and and also that they're putting more of an emphasis on thinking about these new Canadians as their audience, as opposed to thinking of the um, the regular kind of gallery goers, but they're going to already think about them too, because that's who, you know, you've been trained in terms of your practice. But the thing is, is that the, the part that I find so engaging from, from Alvin Noe is that idea that the art is this way of understanding 
your place, understanding society and culture around you. Uh, it's that idea like of being a map. And so also for the participants, for the, for, the, for the refugees, for the other immigrants, that they can have art as a way of understanding the world that's around them. So it's not necessarily about what product do they produce. Like in art therapy, it'd be the thing you produce and then you like analyze it or whatever it is you do. Right. But I, I could see that people would say, oh, well, then you're just doing art therapy. But the thing is, I think it's it's just not understanding this idea of the of the strange tool of art. So it's this tool to help one have this perspective. So when you're making the art, it's not so that you can dissect it later and and see how that reflects how you're feeling. No. No. So my my focus is observing people, looking how they behave while doing the activity, so I can later come up with strategy of how to build public programs for specific groups of people, specifically new immigrants in my case. I am using methods from experimental psychology, such as ethological observation, to generate nonverbal forms of assessment, which I will then analyze. And I'm hoping that some kind of pattern will emerge from it that I can later use. So can you share some observations that you've made so far about the art experiences that you guys have had already? Sure. With one group of people that are studying English as a second language, we went to the Kutz Center. And uh, so it was a one-day trip. The Kutz Center is in close to Nanton. We did an art activity there. There is actually there is a permanent installation there by Donald Lawrence. It's a camera obscura, an old elevator turned into camera obscura. So, so it's, still, it's still in progress, but it's, you know, in terms of what needs to be done, it's 90% complete. Um, and so just before showing you the image... And, and so the people were shown this camera, mm -hmm. the art, and then we did activity connected to camera obscura, we did a project that the project was called uh, image transfer and basically is transferring an image of a photograph by using a gel medium, which is something that everyone can do. There is no any skill level uh, needed for that. We had only, for example, we had only one hour uh, planned for this, but people were so engaged with it, they didn't even want to leave for lunch break. They were doing it for two and a half hours. <laughs> oh wow! And uh, yeah, it was very, it was very neat, nice uh, uh, seeing how how big interest uh, they show in doing art. And and was that same level of engagement there when you guys were making and flying those kites? Yes, uh, when we were flying kites, it was there was so much excitement about it. <laughs> Uh, people were screaming, <laughs> and uh, it was a very windy day, so <laughs> it was uh, uh, it was very neat seeing these kites flying up and down, and people running and uh, uh, smiling, uh, laughing with each other. The, it didn't the language didn't make any barrier at all. You and probably uh, couldn't even really talk through all that wind, anyway. No, no, and uh, um, it was all about being engaged, being present in the moment, uh, doing it, uh, running, uh, and uh, 
seeing actually uh, the uh, the result of their work, the workshops they engaged previously in, seeing these uh, images fly in the sky. <laughs> get up, get up, you can do it, you can do it! Come on! <laughs> so I kind of like that swirling that it was doing. You got it! Good kite flyer. The Lichen Lab podcast is produced by myself, Marvik Adiser, and the principals of Level 2 Lichen Lab, Christine Clark, Louise Barrett, and Josephine Mills. Our audio engineers are Matthew Erdman, Matt Rutterberg, and Jake Kadike. Special thanks to Maria Madaki. Funding support for this project is provided by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada and the Canada Council for the Arts. Visit our website, lichenlab.ca, for show notes and to see more of the ideas and people featured on the show. You can listen to all episodes of Lichen Lab Podcast Season 1 through iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts.